0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> first Timothy 5 Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, you should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. So repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and seek to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household. Has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on a list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, They want to marry, thus they bring judgment on themselves, because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from one house to another, going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies, who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander, some have, in fact, already turned away, from, turned away to all of Satan. If any woman who is a believer <coughs> has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them, so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those who work as preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God in Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. Do not be hasty in laying on hands, and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and frequent illnesses. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden
1: forever. Thanks, Joe. So uh, we're getting into this uh, passage here, and we can see that, well, throughout the whole book, I mean, Paul's main thing is he's trying to show Timothy how to lead. He's trying to show Timothy, he's a young guy, and leading anywhere is difficult. Let me say it this way. Um, It's always easier to tell somebody what to do than it is to lead them. It's always easier to be bossy, than to be leading. And sometimes people think that they are... Oh, I know it's doing that. You can't have a phone next to a thing recording. So, that's why. I learned that. It only took me like a year. That's pretty good. So, it's always easier to be bossy and tell other people what to do than it is to truly lead them. Because leaders, right, a good leader, what they do is they, they inspire. They inspire... Um, They create excitement. They create a buzz. They give people a sense that something can be done. Even though it might not even look like really that possible or there's a way to get it done, there's a way to do it. Um, Good leaders, they don't create restrictions and pressure. They will recognize boundaries and they will recognize and they say, hey, listen, we can't do such and such. But they'll do it in such a way to where it's not feeling like it's closing in on someone. Right? Good leaders... Do those things. Good parents, they do those things. Good grandparents, people that carry influence, that's what they do. They, they're not primarily concerned with getting them to do what I want them to do, they're primarily concerned with how can I get them to do, to see the value in that thing I'm trying to get them to do. Because if they see the value, then they're just going to want to do it. They own it. They want to do it on their own. You don't have to be there and watch them and hold their hand as they do it. Because here's the shocking truth. If we're going to um, lead and inspire and help people and influence, if the only way that happens, if we're right there telling them every step and holding their hand for a long time, that's not called leadership. That's called babysitting. And we didn't do a good job of communicating and uh, making clear and really distinguishing the value behind what we're trying to get them to do. So in a career setting, at a job, that's critically important. In a church, that's ridiculously important. And in the home, you can't underestimate that importance. For any, you know, mom, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, whoever carries influence, like in a home and in a family, it's, it's very different. You look at discipline in a very different way. Depending upon the season of life and how old they are, you know, it depends. But if our primary concern is this, and I don't want you to do that, don't do that. And if that's the message that's delivered for so long that's not really going to create any appreciation of value or lead to any real long-lasting change of behavior. In fact, what it'll do, it'll train them to only do it when you're not looking or paying attention. That's what it will do. And so it's a lot of work to be able to communicate to people the value behind what we're actually trying to encourage somebody to do something. So that's... Not easy to figure out. You have to really just be a student, really, number one, of what you're doing and why you're doing it. You have to really prayerfully go through it. And really consider, like, you know, who what the environment is and who the people are involved. And like, Lord, how can I possibly connect to their hearts? And it's very difficult in a job in a career setting. Like, how do you do that? How do you do that with co It's not a church. There's things you have to get done. There's deadlines you have to meet. Contracts or grants you have to write. There's people that got to be held accountable. But how do you do that in a way that's graceful, in a way that honors and brings glory to God? Because it's certainly not just letting everything go by and everything's under the rug. That's not it. Because then truth gets thrown out the window. But how do you do it? Or how do you do it in a home, in a family, when you're just... You can't get a child to do a particular thing that they really need to do. How do you do that? How do you get a spouse to change direction and get them to see that things aren't being met, that needs are not being addressed? How do you do that? Right. These are all things that we wrestle with, that we struggle with. And for much of it it's, it, it's not an easy one-word answer. Hey, just do this. Most of the times, it's not the way it works. And I think much of that is intentional. right? God wants us to trust in His leading, and His prompting, and in the Spirit working in our hearts and in the situation. So it looks very different depending upon the situation, the people, the, the times of life, the seasons of life. It always changes. And so... For Timothy, in his situation, in his season, he's a young, unmarried, just put-in-place pastor of this church. So that's complicated. I mean, that's like a whole ball of wax. He's got to deal with the leaders of that church, the elders. Elders slash pastors that are there. He's going to have to deal with women in the church that are there, older and younger. Men, older and younger. Guys the same age. But yet, Paul, the apostle, put him in charge there. So how do you handle that type of situation? Well, Paul's going to give him some wisdom and some insight on that as far as how to do that. Like, what's the right way? How do you do this? So here's what he says in the first part. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Here's Here's where he goes with this. He says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father, Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So one thing when you read that, if your family is compl- so if somebody doesn't have a father, they didn't know their mother, and they've always had jacked up relationships in their life, that automatically makes it very difficult right from the outset. Right? I mean... How do you do that? Or if somebody was abused by one of those choices there, classifications of people, like how do you... You need freedom and healing right from the jump just to be able to get started here. That's why you can't... It's not wise to have people in leadership and pastoral shepherding roles if if they're still reeling from the pains that have been done to them by certain people. Because there's no way you can really minister and equip other people well because you're still trying to get healing and freedom from where you're at. And it's very important that we let the Holy Spirit do those things and let Him just take the time that it needs to happen. So what He says, He says, hey, listen, you're going to be around older men, elders, other older men at the church. So listen, don't rebuke them harshly. And apparently what was going on here is there was a difficult time with the elders and with the leaders. They, They weren't really doing... They needed help. And Paul told him, he said, hey, listen, you got to kind of set these guys straight. And there's a way to do that. And here's not the way to do it. I'm the man that Paul put in charge. Paul, the apostle, he put me in charge. And so what you're doing and what you're saying can happen. And like, if you continue down that sort of communication, that turn, that's going to turn into be a very harsh, not what nice way to deliver the truth. And I love, this is what people always do too, is like, I'm just telling you the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear that one so many times. I'm just telling them the truth and they don't want to listen to the truth. Maybe, but maybe they don't want to listen to a jerk giving them the truth. Maybe that. That might be the reason. And more often than not, that really is the reason. We're just so concerned with just blasting them with the truth, we actually lost how to instill the value and communicate the heart of a father. It's very rare to see Christians who actually possess that ability, who are able to get across things that are really bothering them, that they're struggling with, that need to communicate, but do it in a gracious way that doesn't compromise truth. It's very rare to see that. And it's probably very rare to see that because it doesn't happen in a whole lot of homes and a whole lot of families. So he says, listen, don't do it harshly. Exhort him or treat him or respect him as if he were your father. And so if there was a father, right? And if there, there, a father was part of the family, that the sort of way that you think you address a father that you would respect, treat him that way. Whether they deserve it or not, just do that. That's how you honor people. He says, treat younger men as brothers. They don't need to be seen as competition. And you don't need to continue to sort of assert and establish yourself among your peers. But sometimes that's what the young guys want to do. Make sure everybody knows who they are. It's like, man, don't do that. They're your brothers. Make yourself vulnerable to them. Create Friendships. They're, you're not here and they're not there. Right? There's level footing at the cross. But you've got to figure out a way how to also minister them but also be close to them. All right? How do you figure that out? It says, Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. That's the heavy hitter right there, those last two words. Absolute purity. Comes to a young man unmarried older man married woman whoever the name of the game when leading a church is absolute purity and that's why lifestyles and choices that have really blurred the lines of sexuality or let's just be honest have completely got rid of the line they are not fit for a position to lead a church family They've seen the purity aspect as optional. So there's no way that they can then be entrusted with encouraging and sharing with people the sexuality that God has created them for. How can you teach the purity and the beauty of it when there's a complete and total lack of self-control? And that's why it's so critically important to have young people early on to actually see the value in withholding themselves and delaying the gratification that their bodies so desperately want. And all the enemy wants to paint is a picture of, "Hey, listen, there's this guy that loves you." And he says, "Hey, look, but don't touch." And the father's saying, "No, no, I'm saving from a lifetime of mistakes and problems. And they're going to be able to see my love and sexuality that I made and I gave as a gift. I want them to enjoy it to the utmost. And it just doesn't happen if you're reckless with sexuality. And so, this is significant in the first part. And to be honest with you, if you've got to summarize those first two verses, it's all about honoring people. Right? He's just trying to say, listen, just honor the people you're around. Regardless of the season, regardless of the situation, regardless of the age, honor. And here's a question that I thought of and wrestled with kind of throughout the week. You know, how do you honor people well? It's good to be kind. It's good to be friendly. But how do I, you know, honor students at my work? How do you honor people at your work? How do we honor people in our homes? That's a worthwhile question to think about, to turn over in our heads, and say, you know, like, what? How does that work? Because the Bible is pretty clear. You honor your parents. It's also pretty clear that you honor those that are in authority. It's also very clear that you honor things that God has created and that he has made. Right? So if we're going to think about things that he's made, he's made human beings in his image and in his likeness. That's just, right off the bat, just requires a certain amount of just respect and honor towards it. So how do we do that? Well, here's the best answer that I could come up with. You probably got a better one, but here's the one that I got. The best way that we can honor people is by giving them the heart of the Father that created them. The best way that I can honor Rick is by giving him, just being in prayer, and thinking about, and being intentional about the heart of the Father that created Rick. My primary concern is there. But right? if I'm going to do that for Brandy, that's where my primary concern is. And when we think about other people in our lives, that really has to be something that we at least, at least, at least, think about and bring to God in prayer. And so often we just see what irritates us, what we don't like, how they're coming up short, how just all the issues and all the problems of how they're screwing up. And that very well may be the case. And that's not saying you turn a blind eye to all of it. But what I think that is saying is, there's a way to address that stuff and get to it, but the Spirit's going to lead us to step one, square one, which is at least ask me about my heart towards that person before you tell them how much you don't like about what they do or what they say Amen. are you with me on this it's yes. really important stuff like this just changes your life if you actually like receive it and tend to think about it and you wrestle with God on it because whatever I say today is, it's not going to be the sum total it's not going to be fully exhausted here But if we're not, if we carry the conversation past here with the Lord after, I promise you it's going to change your life forever. And you will see people a lot differently. Honestly, more accurately, the way God is really calling us to see people. Because they're really not our problem. People are just not our problem. We're really called to give them the heart of the Father. And the Lord is just bringing us to those places. As we grow in maturity with Him, we see that more clearly. It's hard to see early on. But as we grow in relationship with Him, those are the places that He's bringing us. And that's why He's saying to this young guy, Timothy, hey, you got to see people for who the Father made them to be. Learn how to honor them. No matter the situation, no matter what's going on. Learn what it means to honor people. All right, everybody still awake? Okie dokie. Verse 3. Tell you what, that's the fastest we've done a couple of verses in like three months. I almost don't feel right. I feel like I'm missing something. You're probably like, yeah, keep it moving. Keep it moving. Verse 3. Yeah, exactly. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. <coughs> Excuse me. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions, too, so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Excuse me. So what Paul's going to do here is he talked about this situation of uh, men and women, different ages, different positions within the church. And they saying, hey, listen, there's a significant position in the church, which has really always been there, going back to Acts 6.6. This significant part of the church that's always been there is Widows. And they've always had a really intentional ministry and outreach and focus towards providing for and taking care of the widows in the church. Making sure that their driveways were plowed, they had food, right? Their grass was caught, right? Things were taken care of. They had rides to doctor's appointments. You know, they, they were taken care of. It's very interesting, right? From the very beginning. There just seems to be something special in God's heart about just widows. And so, he's saying here, and we're going to learn further on, there's actually a list that they would have in the church of sort of, quote-unquote, doesn't say it here, but I'm using this terminology, quote-unquote, approved widows. And it would be the ones that would be over 60, they would have no other family, and no one around to help take care of. And those are the ones that the church leaders, the church by say, oh yeah, we're definitely investing in them, trying to take care of them. It was a very intentional effort. And it's interesting, what Paul says to him, he says, hey listen, whoever the widows are, one make sure um, that their family's taking care of them. Because if you have widows in your church and their family's not taking care of them, Timothy, you've got bigger problems. They're not understanding this message and this gospel of grace and of love and of self-sacrifice. Right. So, you got to go address them. And then, he says something, he says in verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So he's, Paul suggesting that there's people in the church that are saying, yes, I'm a Christian, I'm a Jesus Christ follower but they're not looking out for their family. And Paul is saying, listen, that is worse than an unbeliever. They can say they're a Christian and Christ follower all that they want. The reality is, they're so far from his heart, it's ridiculous. This is that verse that every unbeliever knows, right? Don't judge me. Right? Don't judge me. <laughs> Guess what? Paul just threw down a judgment on him right there. And church leadership is called to be in those positions from time to time to recognize, say, listen, this is not, they're saying that, and they're saying these things, but they are not doing it. And it's important for church leadership then to recognize that and go address the situation. Not to come down with a judgment on high, thus saith the Lord. Right, but you want to get into the situation and figure out what the heck is going on. There's a family member that is not getting taken care of here. And so I hope that sobers us up a little bit and just makes us more aware of, hey, listen, first ministry. That's what we learned in our premarital class. They called it, you know, that was their phrase, first ministry. You always take care of your family. First ministry. It's just what you do. The wise and mature people, that's what they do. Especially church leaders, it's really important. Because as has been said by a lot of Christian leaders for a long time, there's been so many families and marriages that have been sacrificed on the altar of ministry sacrifice it. oh yeah we'll, we'll go out to dinner soon but I just gotta run to this meeting or oh yeah ah, I got this phone call I gotta take or shh, shh, fill it in and people do it with business too and with work right so strong words from Paul here to Timothy listen keep an eye on the widows he says this interesting thing in verse 7 um, sorry no we're going to go down to verse 9 says, no widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. So the natural question is, how do I get on that list, right, if you're a widow? Interesting, Paul says, hey, listen, it's pretty exclusive, actually we're taking care of home base. So he said, by home base, he means a church family. He said, we're going to take care of and watch out for those in our church family. And he says, honestly, the ones that are going to be on that list that we're going to take care of, they're the ones that have been responsible in the faith. They've been faithful to God, praying for other people, right? Giving. They've just been responsible. Which is sort of interesting to me. Because sometimes I think that, you know, the church tries to do a lot of things on the outside and really, we would like to give a whole lot of things out but we haven't really taken care of enough things at home. Does that make sense? Like it's really difficult to go out and just you know, win an entire town for Jesus when half a congregation is still struggling with very carnal, fleshly issues. How can you do that? There's not an evangelism course you can take that gets that done. So it's really important to understand, right, this dynamic of Paul encouraging Timothy, listen, take care of the ones that have been faithful. And in verse 11, he really turns it up a little bit. He says, as for younger widows, younger women that have been married, lost their husbands, wouldn't be uncommon back then, a lot more of a violent society. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves. What in the world? What's he saying? Is he saying that it's a sin to marry? It would kind of look like that, I think, if you just read it real quick and just said, but then later on, Paul goes back to saying, hey, listen, I'm telling them to marry. So Paul's either having a really bad day, or there's maybe a more accurate, clear way to read this. I think a clear and more accurate way to read this is as we take a look at it again it says as for young widows do not put them on such a list for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to christ they want to marry thus bringing judgment on themselves here's what can happen and what happens a lot young man young men and young women but we're talking about young women in this case They so desperately want to have a relationship that they are willing to put aside anything they have to to make sure they get the relationship they so badly want. That is a huge problem. And that is what Paul is saying. They bring judgment on themselves. They are professing to be a Christian, but the majority of their energy and what they're doing is they're trying to figure out how they can make this marriage and relationship happen apart from moving at the pace that the Lord wants to move. That's how we bring judgment on ourselves. It's like, oh, I want this relationship so bad. I need this person in my life. This could only be good for me, right? They like the same things as me. We get into good conversations. We can sometimes pray together. Right? It's good. A very helpful way for a, a younger person to sort of guard against those things is to ask. Just real simply, just ask. A slightly older, more seasoned person in the faith, a woman, say, hey, listen, do you have this sense or the feeling that I'm putting this relationship ahead of my relationship with God right now? If any young person has enough courage to actually ask somebody that, that they trust, you don't just ask somebody that, it's just a random person. And you don't just ask a yes person. You ask a trusted person that you know that they won't blur the lines for you, they make it clear. All of a sudden, that helps quite a bit. Helps brings things into clarity. So we bring judgment on ourselves when we just so desperately want something that we spend the majority of our time, effort, energy, and thoughts and prayer life towards that thing instead of actually submitting it to the Lord first and asking Him if that fits and then if it does, like what does that look like? God, what are you calling me to? Because Paul's telling them like, hey, listen, get married. You need to get married. Because what's going to happen is they're going, to ha- they're going to be these young widows on this list. They won't have a husband. Kids, maybe not kids. They're going to have lots of downtime because the church is going to invest in taking care of them. And so he is saying, Paul is saying is, we're going to have these women, younger women at church, lots of downtime, they're getting taken care of. And Paul is saying, they're going to spend time going to people's house and talking about people. And they're going to be talking about other women, talking about other guys, they're gonna have idle time and it won't be good or healthy for them. The older people say, Yep. The younger people say, No. <laughs> it's just true. It's trying to guard them against it. He's trying to guard them against it. That's why he says in verse thirteen, besides They get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. So apparently there's some sort of perpetual problem that was just developing there. Just the young women were just... Their mouths were just going. Just getting them in trouble. And guys, they do it too. We can gossip too, with the best of them. But for whatever reason, in this scene, in this scenario, I guess it was a real issue. So Paul's saying, hey man, guard against that. Do whatever you can, Paul, to make sure that this gossiping and just idle time, try to prevent it. Verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Goes back to the same idea of family taking care of family, right? Now he switches gears. Verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. And the worker deserves his wages. So, he's making a big point right here to the elders and the pastors of the church. He's saying, hey, listen. He said, these guys, and I like the New King James Version, it, it really um, uses the more correct word. He says, those that are dedicated to ruling and to teaching. There's typically a group of leaders in a church. The elders typically more concerned with sort of ruling, conducting the affairs of the church, concern, primarily concerned with vision and taking care of the flock. And then um, you have those that are just primarily concerned with teaching and with preaching. There's some overlap as well. But typically that's the way it plays out. So he's saying, listen, for those that are involved with preaching, teaching, ruling the affairs of the church... There's nothing wrong with them getting paid. He said, in fact, that's the way I created it so that would happen. And then he says, don't muzzle an ox while it's treading grain. Well, that seems like an odd thing to say at that point in time. What he's doing is he's referring back to Deuteronomy and he's saying, hey, listen, in Deuteronomy, it says that it was commanded in the law when the ox is treading out and he's doing his work there make sure that you also put some food on there so he can eat while he's doing it. And the point is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we won't turn there now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul reiterates the same thing and he says, the reason why it says that in the Old Testament was to convey and show that a worker is worth his wages. So leaders within a church that are truly leading and ruling and preaching and just primarily concerned with the affairs of the church, there's nothing wrong with them getting paid. In fact, he says, worthy of double honor, which is very interesting. So he's not like encouraging that all of them make minimum wage. He's actually encouraging that they like, get really taken care of, that they're well taken care of they look different in different contexts but that's the idea that's the sense he's saying god has designed it since the very beginning that those that are primarily concerned with giving the father's heart to equipping and empowering that they get well taken care of by the people that they're ministering to and honestly that's not anything new in the old testament there's a group of people designated called the levites they're the priests and they went to god on behalf of the people That doesn't need to happen now. I don't have to go to God on behalf of you. You can go right to Him. Just go right to Him. You don't need me to do that. I can help. I can pray with you. I can come alongside. But you don't need me for that. You go right to God through Jesus. Old Testament, they didn't have that. So you have this nation of people that want to communicate with God. You have these priests that God made as the middleman. And the only way that they ate, um, that they had provisions, that they had homes... Was when it's written down in the law that the whole rest of the nation that they would bring things, food, um, clothes, all kinds of things to the Levites. That's how they were taken care of. Because what it says in God's Word, it says that it was important that the Levites know and recognize that God's people would take care of them as they were faithful to God. You understand what I'm saying? It's a standard that had never changed. It's not like yeah, it's the New Testament and you changed it all up, it was always the same. The problem only comes in when you have pastors and leaders that will only serve and shepherd when they're getting paid well. That's the problem. And unfortunately, like it's, it's pretty rampant. There's a lot of it going around. You'll only see them involved and really paying attention and really, as long as they're getting paid, getting paid well. That's sad, right? It's sad. In fact, the Bible calls that a hireling. God is referred to as the good shepherd that's faithful and true regardless of what may come in and try and intrude and try and take advantage of. But then God refers to this person called the hireling. He'll only do that stuff if he's getting paid. So the leaders of a church, right, they're not supposed to be hirelings. They're supposed to be true shepherds. You guys with me? There's not much left says, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. In other words, people are going to complain about people all the time. Especially in a church. It's going to happen all the time. We're just going to rub on each other. It's just... You're going to like a worship song? You're not going to like a worship song. You're going to like the way somebody said hi? You're not going to like the way they said hi. You're going to like the way they did announcement? You're not going to like the way they did announcement. You're going to like their prayer? You're not going to like their prayer. It's just going to happen. got to just roll with it. Exactly, just like it's a family, right? Not just gonna, you're not going to love everything. But you got to major in the majors. You can't major in the minors. It just doesn't help. So, people are going to complain about, no, I don't like how they talk with me, I don't like how they look at me, I don't, uh, right? But, there might be some legitimate ones, right? I don't like, he always tries to like, put me in a corner, or like, I feel weird, I'm in a room with him, or like, he's like, touches my arm too much, right? There's these other situations that you have to pay attention to, Right? So he's saying, hey, listen, you can't just pay attention to every little thing that comes up, but there's some, and if you hear from multiple people, you got you to make moves and do something. I remember I was part of a church and helping out not too far away. And unfortunately, there's a, there a really charismatic, influential like, youth leader there. And me and a friend of mine, we were young. It was like our first, second year of college. And um, we were helping out. We really liked this guy. I mean, again, he was like really, he's just a fun guy. He's just a good guy. So, fast forward a couple of years. I'm sitting now. A little church, kind of like this. They had probably had like 150 people, though. That was a lot of people. And so we're there. I'm sitting at this meeting. You see parents and people just crying, super upset. Pastors are up here talking. And I'm like, what the heck? And what had happened was, right, this, this youth leader, to make a long story short, he was super inappropriate um, with a couple of the female girls at the youth One of them in particular, he ends up doing about 10 years jail time. And the unfortunate thing about the whole thing was that, you know, this was like a repeated incident. And what had happened was that the leadership had known, they had a conversation, and it was like a, you know, slap on the wrist. And one of the most detrimental things that you can do when you're in ministry and in leadership is play favorites. That's not delivering the heart of a father. Two people. you are just playing favorites. For whatever reason, you really like the person, you just don't want to deal with all the drama, my cause, just whatever. Your butt might be on the line, whatever it is. And so it's so important, right? It's so important that favorites are not played. And that when there are legitimate things brought against elders and leaders, they're not above anybody. And I love how um, what Paul tells Timothy he says, Hey, listen, if it's legitimate and has been handled pro- appropriately, you bring it right in front of the church. That's like what? says, so you bring in front of the church, be like, hey, listen, brother so-and-so. He had been blah blah blah. And you don't have to go in crazy detail, but they've been doing blah blah blah. They repented. We have some actions in place. The next, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Da-da-da-da-da. we gonna pray together. Right, it's like it's a vi- it's a public thing done the right way to bring honor and respect for his bride. Because purity, not just an individual, but also for the bride, the church, is incredibly important. There's a lot of teaching going on right now, you have to so all this in? You're probably gonna have to listen again later this week, but there's a lot of stuff. You with it? Yes, yeah. Verse 21, it says, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels. I'm not going to go down that rabbit trail even though I want to. <laughs> there's some angels that were disobedient and they're actually waiting. The call, Bible calls like an abyss and they're chained. They're disobedient. But then there's some of most have not and they've been faithful and they followed the Lord. But there's some that are not. So elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of, there's our word, favoritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't be hasty in laying on of hands. What does that mean? That means you just don't lay your hands on and pray for any leader. Oh, you've been saved two weeks? Cool, let's make you an elder. You don't do that. Right? They did that in early church when I say did that," I mean that when they had a new leader rise up to take over a particular ministry, what they would do is they'd bring them to the church, elders lay hands, they pray over them, and sort of commission them. And we'll do the same thing. when we institute elders, when we have deacons and deaconesses, we're going to come on up, lay hands on and pray for them. He's saying, "Don't be hasty in that. Don't just rush into that decision. Don't just fill a spot. Because serving in a church and bringing about the bride of what God wants to do is about much more than just filling the spot. Hey, that word purity came up again. Verse 23 Stop drinking only water, use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. If you're looking for a verse to justify getting drunk, that's not your verse. I don't even think that's the verse for socially drinking. It seems to be a verse of medicinal purposes. So it seems to be to me. I'm not an English major, but got some problems. Just have some wine, a little bit. And at the same time, you know, the Bible's pretty clear. At least with church leadership, elders, pastors, man, don't even touch it. So he said, Timothy, they don't drink at all. It's interesting. He says for deacons, deaconesses, they can't drink too much, indulge too much wine or alcoholic drink. What does that mean? I don't even know. But I guess deacons can drink a little bit, and then pastors can't. I don't even know what that means. I guess the deacons can only use the real wine communion, just drink a little bit to taste it, and then that's like I don't know what that means. But. The Bible is really clear that wine is a mocker, beer is a brawler. Paul says, don't be drunk on wine instead be filled with the Spirit. If people I live in are really, they need alcohol in their lives. It's probably an indication that something's off, off course. Our primarily concern is to be filled with something else. right? Be filled with something else. So people could be really like a Pharisee, follow you around, check your fridge. If you come to my house, to see a Bud Light. I mean, you won't see one, but if you did, I hope you wouldn't judge me. And if I come to your house, I ain't judging you. I hope we can do that, right? I remember, though, like, I remember college age going to, I remember, like, the first time it was, like, this young adult ministry thing. Like, hey, we've got this party, we're all hanging out. I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, I'm going to go to a Christian party. That's pretty neat, you know, didn't have that experience before. But then I showed up. I saw a lot of kegs. I saw a lot of wine. I was like, am I at the right house? It's really odd. A lot of other extracurricular things that weren't good. I was like, we're seriously doing this? So we're just Christians, so we just use God, so then now that just justifies us doing what we're doing right now. That, that's what we're doing. And I was just totally blown away by it. And I really wasn't encouraged by it. Um, but it's kind of sad. That stuff just creeps its way in there. Right? It creeps its way in there. Just got to be careful. It says, The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others, they trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. In other words, Timothy, keep a close eye on people. Especially people that you just just get a strange feeling about sometimes. Might not be obvious, just keep an eye on them for a while. As the Bible says, they'll be known by their fruit. You know, they'll be known by their fruit. So if I can sum it up real quick here, here's what he shares with them. Um, Respect people of all ages. In fact, just honor them. Figure out a way, and it's worthwhile for us. How do I just honor people God has placed in my life? And what does honoring mean? That means giving them the heart of the Father that helped create them. What does that look like? How do I do that? What? How, Lord? Mm-hmm. Other takeaway? Not just respecting people of all ages, but respecting the church's resources. Paul's really serious, it, like, listen, it's a limited amount of resources. He can deliver more, but he's making it clear that it's important to take an inventory of exactly what the church can maintain on the inside and what they can give on the outside. It's just not a free-for-all. And he made that clear by the widows and the list and who to give to and who not to give to. And he also made it clear that people should take care of their families. And then the last part is um, a church should take care of their elders and their pastors. Because that actually communicates a message to the outside world. If there's a church family and they can't really support and take care of their pastor or pastors, whoever they might be, that sort of delivers a message to everybody else, like, what's going on over there? How come the church family that they minister to can't take care of them? Or why wouldn't that? So respecting people of all ages, respecting their church resources, taking care of pastors and elders, seems to be the heart of all this. And um, honestly, I think Luke 10, 27 sums it all up really well. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's just the name of the game right there, right? Hasn't changed. Hasn't changed. Loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving other people as we love ourselves.